You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Sarah Bacon is an investigative, immersive journalist who has lived in extraordinary locations in the world, meeting and getting to know people who live in environments very different from our own. Linda Ness met this fascinating, energetic woman who seems to be fearless of going to hostile places, but passionate about helping the people that she befriends. Sarah Begum is an immersive investigative journalist, anthropologist, explorer and public speaker. Sarah has been exploring the world, studying tribes and different ways of life while investigating current affairs and making a humanitarian effort to help people through her work. Sarah, you've done some absolutely amazing things. Actually, to be honest, having looked at your CV, I don't know where to start. <laughs> Nobody you, does. I know. Well, you've, you've lived with tribes in the Amazon and in the Atlas Mountains. You've investigated the mafia in Sicily. You've mixed with Polish football gangs filmed in Amsterdam's red light district the incredibly dangerous city of Caracas in Venezuela and lots and lots more, lots of other countries as well. What drove you to to get into documentary making and go into these dangerous places? To be completely honest with you, I never knew that this was my path. It all started from my first film. My first film was living with an indigenous tribe deep in the Amazon jungle of Ecuador, and I was with the Warani tribe, where I hunted and gathered with warriors, and I immersed in their way of life. Then they married me to a warrior and made me queen. Are you still married to this guy? It was a marriage of alliance, so it was symbolic, and they wanted to create that alliance because they wanted a messenger to spread the message about protecting their land from exploitation. They saw that I had a camera, that I was telling their stories, and they wanted that connection. They wanted their message and their stories to reach the wider world through my work. And so it was an alliance that they created through that bond, through the marriage and through the queen initiation. So as a result, I've been an advocate for them for the past 10 years and my Amazon warriors still speak to me on Facebook. The most recent correspondence I've had with them was through Facebook a few days ago when they asked me to help them raise enough funds so that they can register the land because they started an organisation with various other indigenous tribes in that region of Ecuador Mm -hmm. and they just want to protect their lands so the government can't exploit it anymore. And there's a lot of that going on in the Amazon, isn't there? And we've been hearing about that in the news, maybe not in that country, but in in other parts of the Amazon. Burning and terrible. Gosh, I am absolutely livid about what's happening in the Brazilian Amazon. I was there eight months ago living with another indigenous community only about an hour away from, from Manaus, one of the towns in, in Brazil, in, in the Amazon. And I was with five different families in a community of mixed indigenous tribes. And they were worried about the future of their livelihood mm-hmm. and, and how they were going to survive if that part of their land was going to be destroyed. Yeah, And... Seeing so many species of plants and different animals and fruit juices that I can't even pronounce the name of. (laughs) Gosh, it was just so 
so amazing. So many things there that we have yet to experience and understand its benefits. We can use for medicine and science and so many things. Mm -hmm. And that part of the world is being targeted and destroyed for what? Well, for money. I know. That's the trouble. Short-term gain. And it's the lungs of the world, isn't it? It is. And I just... Oh... So tell us about... It just angers me. So <laughs> your, your time with that tribe. First of all, why did you go there? What gave you the idea of going there? So when I was nine years old, I learned about deforestation at school. And it became my dream to go to the Amazon, to live with the tribes and see how they live today and, and to save the trees. Mm-hmm. That was my childhood dream. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought that it would happen. And... I left it in the back of my mind. Then when I was at university, at the age of 21, I took a month out of my final degree, uh, which was in television, and I decided to make my first film. I used all my savings, I quit my job. Everyone thought I was completely mad, but I decided to prove them wrong. And you went on your own? I went by myself. However, I did have a cameraman who I hired from New York, And I did have a sound man who left after the first week because he was infected. So he left on the first day as soon as we got to the community. So it was just a two-man team. And when my cameraman was sick or resting, I was just filming myself. I mean, that's one of the dangers you face. It's not just people. It's bugs, really, and things like that. Because you're in in hostile environments. I mean, I was infected by microscopic worms and I was on very strong medication when I got back. But that's not what bothered me. What bothered me was the stories of being killed by the uncontacted tribes Mm -hmm. who were the same family as the Warani tribe, the tribe that I went to live with. And we were traversing through their territory when we took that 16-hour boat ride deep into the jungle. And that was a risk that we took. But it was a journey that I wanted to make to see how the jungle was conserved and sustained at that time, how the tribes people, what their relationship with their environment was. And they are so respectful with the jungle. They don't allow any outsiders to bring any plastics and pollute the waters or leave it around in the jungle. That's great. Yeah. No, it's amazing. That's the reason why they set up an ecotourism company, so they can bring in people to the jungle and educate them about its benefits, about their way of life, about protecting the jungle and the importance of that so that they can bring that back and spread the knowledge with others. And the day-to-day life when you were living with that tribe, quite hard, presumably? It's a simple life of survival, but yes, it can be physically hard depending on what you're doing. So when I was hunting with the warriors, gosh, yeah. What were you hunting? So the most prized catch is the monkey or the jungle pig. So we were hunting monkeys and jungle pigs in the forest. When we returned back to the village, one of the warriors who did catch the monkey, he shared the food with the rest of the community. So that was really nice. Mm -hmm. And monkey sausage isn't something that you eat every day, so... (laughs) I'm not even going to ask. (laughs) Presumably you'd have to eat anything. You can't be a fussy eater when you're going on these... It's a great thing to be vegan. It is good for the environment. But when you're put in those situations, you need to survive. And, I mean, you can survive on nuts and fruits and veg and things that you may bring in to the jungle. That's one way of doing it. But if you think about it, many, many, many years ago, 
they needed to survive on whatever they could get. Yeah. So it was a life of hunting and gathering. Meat was something that they depended on a lot. Fish. Mm-hmm. The yucca, which is their main source of carbohydrates, you know, nuts for protein, all of that. Did yeah. that give you the taste for more then? Because the list of places you've been to, as I say, is the length of your arm. What Gosh. did you do next? So I did go to Sicily. I was investigating into the anti-mafia movement and the role of the mafia in rural Sicily in the farms with the farmers and the protection money they were having to pay. And then I went to the U.S., And I was fascinated by the indigenous peoples of the U.S. So I wanted to look into the Native Americans. And I did a road trip, 18 states in three weeks, a round circle from Illinois back to Illinois through Mississippi, Tennessee, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Iowa, South Dakota, many other states, looking at Native American culture today. I went to reservations, I went to powwows, I went to heritage centres and historic sites to understand their history, their culture and their role in society today. Because the native population makes up 1% of the entire US population. Mm -hmm. They need to be heard. They even have their own president. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Exactly. Not many people do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of issues that they suffer from. They suffer from alcoholism, suicide, gambling, gosh, so much more, rape. And I was lucky enough to meet a group of Native Americans in Arizona, just near the Black Mesa. They were drunk when I met them, but by the time I had finished speaking to them, they were quite alert. And they were happy to share their stories. They were happy to tell me about how many miles they had to walk to gather wood or pay $100 for a bag of wood so that they could keep themselves warm in their own houses Mm -hmm. because they don't have heating. Some of the houses don't even have water. Were they quite happy that you were there telling their story? Yeah, because they were asking me, why did you approach us? You know, Mm -hmm. we're a bunch of alcoholics. Like, what made you want to approach us? I said, well, I want to know you and I want to know your story. And the thing that they want the most is well-paid jobs. They're sick of having to work as waiters, waitresses and various other uh, low-paid jobs. They want to work in offices or they want to have careers. They want to be given those opportunities, but they're not. How do you choose your next trip? I mean, it sounds to me like you're very focused on... On the underdog, how do you choose what you want to do next? Are you reading the newspapers or watching documentaries and going, yes, I fancy going there? (laughs) I do read the news and I do watch various documentaries, but a lot of the times it's an encounter with someone or something and the idea comes to me or I decide to go to a destination and then the stories find me. Mm -hmm. And I'm open to uh, meeting all kinds of people and then I learn about a place or I learn about an issue. And I follow the people and the people lead me to the stories. And do you tend to go on your own? I know I asked you that when you went on your first trip. But generally, you went to Amsterdam into the red light area, for example. So I went to the International Documentary Festival in Amsterdam. That was the first film festival I had ever been to. And I decided to do something unconventional. So I stuck a camcorder in my teddy bear and put that in my handbag 
and I decided to walk through the red light district by myself at night, mm -hmm. knocking on all the different women's doors, asking them for photos. Two of them let me, one of them let me in, and her name was Layla. <laughs> mm -hmm. She was a beautiful woman and very broken. She even turned off her lights to speak to me, and that's when I knew that she was very lonely. She was engaged. Her fiancé knew about the job that she was doing, and she just said to me, it's money. Yeah, that's what it's about, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's money. I asked her if she would want to do something else and chase her dreams and have a different life, and she told me that there was no more hope for her dreams anymore. Gosh. We even spoke about religion and many other things. And then a British guy walked in asking for... <laughs> for something on the menu. For something on the menu. <laughs> I was surprised that she she didn't really want to engage in, in the work. She still wanted to keep speaking to me. And then she realised what had happened. And she asked me why I was so interested. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just said, well, maybe I want to get involved too. <laughs> Can I have your PIS number? <laughs> she was like, I was like, I just want to know what it's like. <laughs> um, yeah, it started raining, so I didn't make it to the PIP's office. We've already talked about you going into quite dangerous places, and, and you've mentioned a few of these. I mean, they are dangerous environments often. You study martial arts, I notice, and that, yeah. that's mentioned. Is that useful gosh yes <laughs> you need to kick ass as a woman <laughs> in dangerous to, places have Always. you had to use have you had to use those skills yeah i mean so i lived in caracas venezuela which is the murder capital of the world you can't get any worse than that no. it's probably the most dangerous place i've ever had to live yes, in that's what they say and survive in. i i was living like a local every day and it was Gosh, it was harsh. In so many ways, it tests you to the extreme extent. But martial arts is so useful when you're a woman walking through the slums by yourself or narrow alleyways or anywhere where there aren't many other people around, especially at night. And then you get cornered by a man, a couple of men or a group of men. And that happened to you? I mean, it happens to me a lot. It's it's how you deal with it that matters. Out of all the places that I've been to, believe it or not, I was attacked in Ibiza. Really? Yeah. Somebody had spiked my drink and I asked to use the toilets. I came out and they attacked me and I had to first use my brain and mentally uh, take control of my body because mm -hmm. I couldn't feel the senses in my arms and I felt it failing me and then I had to command my voice to shout at him yeah, <laughs> to leave yeah. you know and, and I had to again use my body and what I learned to protect myself another time it happened to me believe it or not here and I did fight somebody off and I fought them off. They got very scared. And then I called the police. It's really annoying that this happens to women still. Yes. And, you know, they look at me and I'm quite petite. You are. And I think for, for the listener, we should describe you're very slim, a slight build. You've got long hair. You're very attractive you. um, and quite glamorous looking, actually. Really? I slept one hour. I was sleeping in the tree in the botanical gardens, hoping <laughs> nobody would find me before this interview. So 
I'm just surprised well, you think You that... look quite good from having slept in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and I find it quite ironic that you've been to all these places like Venezuela and you're attacked at Ibiza and in the UK. I find it ironic too. So that's what I find interesting. When people ask me, where have you been attacked? Funny enough, I wasn't attacked in the most dangerous places that I'd gone to. I was very smart with how I got around, how I navigated. I used local intelligence mm-hmm. to get around. You've been to the refugee camp in Calais. How did you find that? Gosh, Calais was interesting. So it was the first time I had bought my camera. I have a Sony A7X with a Canon zoom lens, and I wanted to test it out by going to Calais, visiting the refugee camps, finding out what it was like for them, and also maybe capturing some stories to highlight their struggles. But I did not take out my camera once during my entire time there. On my first day, the BBC crew were being stoned because everyone there felt like animals. Mm -hmm. So they called it the jungle. And they just said to me, Sarah, they're just capturing our stories. And they're going to go and make money of these stories, all these journalists from Europe. And what about us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why, why at our expense? They don't care about us. We're not going to hear from them again. So I did something different. I decided to you know, sit with them, immerse with them, eat with them, just speak to them, connect with them as human to human. Yeah. And then I came up with an idea... Uh, for a workshop and it was based on something I did in Ethiopia and I decided to set up a workshop to help them identify their skills and their strengths and use that to provide a service or set up their own businesses in the country which they seek citizenship oh great idea yeah and and you know you had talented people there and I thought wow do not waste that talent use it so did this workshop Um, And I even got them to uh, learn English because it is a universal language or the language of the country. So if they wanted to settle in France, French. And I got them to write the um, ideas and um, a business plan in English Mm -hmm. and tell me what they want to do in English so they would practice the language as well. And one of my students made it to the UK uh, months after this workshop and he contacted me, sent me an email And he said, Sarah, thank you, because of you I had hope. And I wanted to send you my diaries of surviving the the war and post-war and the Calais jungle. And he's doing really well now. Good. So I just, um, gosh, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about just remembering this. It's so nice when you can see people's lives being changed. Yeah, when you can make a difference. It makes me so happy. That's probably my favourite thing about... What I get to do, if I'm given the opportunity, I I love seeing people's lives changed. And I'm getting emotional just talking about it. So, yeah. When you were growing up, how did you get on with your family and what do they think about what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, growing up, I was always the black sheep. I was very much a tomboy when I was very young. And then when I hit puberty in my teenage years, I was a grunge and rock chick and goth. Um, and my mum got scared with my spikes and my parachute pants and everything <laughs> and the black makeup. And I don't know, I didn't get the kind of support that I wish I had, that other people might have. Mm-hmm. So quite often my inspiration and support network were, were my teachers, my mentors and my friends. 
Um, my dad died of lung cancer eight years ago. Uh, so he never got to see any of my adventures or films. Oh, that's sad. Um, yeah, I miss him every day. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum's still waiting for me to be normal. Uh, <laughs> whatever that is. Whatever that is. <laughs> but yeah, I've had a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, a lot of resistance to be who I am today. But you've got through and you are who you are. Yeah. 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 Good for you. Thank you. We will put links, by the way, okay. to some of the things that you've done because they are really, really worth seeing. They're amazing. Thank you. What are you going to be doing next? I'm in development with various different projects right now. Some television and expeditions. And my main thing is sustainability. So I joined a company based in L.A. as an ambassador um, and I'll be doing some stuff for them once they get the first contract signed from the world government. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I can't really say too much more. Well, keep an eye with interest on, on what you're doing because I, you. I think you're I think you're going to be destined for, for great things by the sound of it because you, you've Thank already you. done brilliant things, to be quite honest. Oh, that, that's... That's not enough. <laughs> I haven't done enough. I don't feel like I have. If well, I'm honest not yet, with you. but you're young. <laughs> I haven't. No, I'm. I'm. I'm 31 now. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> you're still young. <laughs> Sarah Begum, thank you thank so you. much for sharing your story with us. It's been really, really great. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. That was Linda Ness talking to Sarah Begum. She was an absolutely fascinating person to meet. So energetic and full of life and great, great fun as well. I really enjoyed spending uh, an hour or so with Sarah. I know there was lots of adjectives in that interview, Linda. Things like she was saying, livid about what's happening Uh in the Amazon. She really, really feels it. She's a sponge of emotions when it comes to environmental things. She she? is, actually. I think... Possibly she's got to watch that because I think she actually takes a lot on board. And when you do these documentaries, you've almost got to be a kind of spectator. And I think she does get very, very immersed in what she's doing. But then that comes across in a really, really good and healthy way. So not sure it's healthy for her, but the the end results look great. You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. 